0: Living Truth. How are y'all? Can I say y'all? I'm from the South. I live in the South. So all 'all, y'all, y'all. It rolls off my tongue. But it's wonderful to be back at Living Truth. I'm so grateful to be able to share an update on the work of Destiny Rescue. And also, I feel so honored that Pastor Michael gave me the privilege to be able to share a word that I feel God is stirring my heart for this congregation. And I pray that it speaks to you. But before that, I just want to say, Pastor Michael and Brenda, I just love you guys. You're a blessing. Your family's a blessing. I'm grateful for uh, making me feel like family when I'm in town. And um, I'm just grateful for this whole congregation and your heart to make a difference around the world. And I pray that today that you see that you are really changing lives and you're connecting with God's heart. So let's get started. Amen. I've titled this message, Blessed to be a Blessing. Who wants to be a blessing in life to other people? Not just to be blessed, but blessed to be a blessing, that you can use your resources and your talents, the the finances that pass through your hands to make a difference in the lives of other people. I've lived for self for a lot of years. And I can say that it doesn't bring satisfaction and happiness. It's like a black hole. You just can never get enough. But when you look beyond yourself, and you can start being a blessing to other people, it's so life-giving. And that is the very heart of our Heavenly Father and Jesus. He represented what his Father was all about when he came to Earth. And my heart today is that you would connect with God's heart of being a blessing, blessed to be a blessing. And we're going we're to talk about a powerful story in the book of Ruth. But before I do that, tragedy can strike at any time. You could be having a great life, and all of a sudden, someone close to you dies, unexpectedly. And they happen to be the main breadwinner of your family. And you went from being strong and confident to not knowing how you're going to put food on the table to pay your bills, to pay your mortgage, and you're in crisis. It could be you deal with a health issue, an unexpected health issue, and now all of a sudden you can't even pay your bills, and you're struggling just to survive. Tragedy, crisis can happen at any moment, and when that does, God wants us as his people to have a listening ear, to be ready to intercede and be available to help those in crisis. Amen? That's good. You you can say that again. Amen. Amen. And we're going to look at a story in the book of Ruth, the story of how tragedy hit a woman and how God used a man to change the lives of two women. But before we do that, I want to give a little backstory on uh, on Ruth. Ruth is a book in the Bible in the Old Testament, and it happened to be during a time in Israel's history during the Judges. Are anyone familiar with the Judges, what the Judges are? God rescued his people out of Egypt. They were in slavery for hundreds of years. And God delivered them, and he was taking them into the land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey, blessing so they could be a blessing to others. And God said this, if you will follow me and honor me, you'll be in this land and great prosperity will happen to you so that you can bless other people. But if you refuse to do that, I'm going to allow nations to come in and take you over. And that would happen. And then the people of God would cry out to God, God, rescue us, help us. And God would raise up deliverers or judges. One of them was Samson, Gideon. And so Ruth is found, the book of Ruth is found during this season of Judges, and there happened to be a famine in the land because in the book of Judges, there was a critical phrase that was said over and over again. People did what was right in their own eyes. In their own eyes. They didn't care what God thought. They cared what they thought. And so God allowed famine in the land. And Naomi, this woman Naomi, Naomi, And her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons left the land of Israel, because there was famine in the land, to a land called Moab to look for food. They wanted to try to survive this famine. And when they got to this land, a very short time later, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, passed away tragically. And she was out of sorts, and she was there with her two sons, raising them. And somewhere around 10 years, her sons got married to two women in the land of Moab. One married Ruth and one married Orpah. That's a weird word, Orpah. Has anyone named their child Orpah? <laughs> That's free. I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, Orpa. So they, they married, these women married Naomi's sons, And tragically, they each passed away. The sons passed away. So now all of a sudden, you have three widows. Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws are living in this land. And now all of a sudden, there's crisis. They don't have any ability to put food on the table for themselves. And in fact, um, there was a commentary that says this. To be a childless widow was to be among the lowest most disadvantaged classes in the ancient world. There was no one to support you, and you had to live on the generosity of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab and no one else to help her. She was in a desperate situation. And so she was like, what do I do? So she tells her daughter-in-laws, you each go back to your families. Marry again. You're young. Marry again. I'm going back to my people and hoping someone will have favor on me to survive. She was older. She was an older woman. And Orpah said, that's a great idea. I'll stay. But we all know from the book of Ruth that Ruth said something different. And we find this in Ruth one sixteen through 18. It says this, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me be ever so severely if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to stay. So that is where we're going to begin in chapter 2 of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, verse 1. And um, so Ruth and Naomi, Naomi is um, the mother-in-law of Ruth. They go back to Israel and Ruth 2, 1, it says this in the NIV translation. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech. That's Naomi's former husband, whose name was Boaz. Now, Boaz, you're going to underline that. We're coming back to him. He's going to play a key role in this story. And verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. Now, what I want you to understand is it's very easy to read over that and just keep moving on. What's the big deal? Ruth had to go out looking for work, hoping she would land in a good field. Can I tell you, there's millions of families around the world that are sending their kids out and young women out to look for food, to find work. And instead of getting help, they're exploited and taken advantage of, and they end up in human trafficking. They end up in horrible places, and someone promising them to take care of them ends up exploiting them and doing vile things to them. And they're trapped, and they're looking for somebody to stand in the gap for them. Didn't know you could get all of that out of a little sentence. But God wants us as his people to carry his heart when we see crisis come across our path. What do we do? How do we respond? When we see need and God has us instrumentally there to make a difference in the life of someone else. Ruth and Naomi were struggling to survive to put food on the table. Ruth went out looking for food by working in the field with men. That's dangerous. Working in the field with men as a woman, a young woman, that's dangerous in that day and age. Naomi was too old to go work. And so she had to rely on the generosity of others and Ruth to go out looking for work. So this scenario happens all over the world. But we're going to move on in in verse 3. So she, Ruth, went out, entered a field, and began gleaning behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So again, we see that it's the land of Boaz, um, who is a relative of Ruth's husband. And what's interesting here is that Ruth was a foreigner in this land. She had zero status. She was poor. She didn't know anybody. And um, she, had, she was not even a hired person where she was earning a wage to, to work um, in this field. She had to go behind the workers and any leftover food that may have fallen she's picking up the leftovers of the leftovers. So it was hard work, hoping to get enough to survive. You see, what's interesting about this is God put a law in the land of Israel, God's people. He took them out of the land of slavery where they were starving and had horrific injustice done to them in slavery. And he took them out of there and he brought them into a A land that he would bless them and bless their crops so that they could be prosperous. And he said, Because you were in slavery and in bondage in Egypt, I'm asking you to put a mandate in this land that you leave food in your fields so when there's poor people and foreigners that are looking for food, you will bless them on your land. And we find that in Leviticus 19. 9 through 10, it says this. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. So you see, God is setting a precedence for his people. When you you have your own land, this is my nature. I'm generous. This is my nature. I'm benevolent. And I want you as my people, when you are blessed with resources, you don't turn a blind eye to those in crisis. You help them. And so that's what Boaz was doing. So, Okay, moving on to verse four. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. So he came to inspect his land. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Now I wanna stop right there a second. That's interesting. He noticed something different. Somebody was on his property he didn't know. And now all of a sudden, he's asking inquisitive questions to find out so he knows and can respond accordingly. When God brings people across your path and my path, do you ask questions to learn more and in tune with God to see if he wants you to intervene on somebody else's behalf? That's what God is after. And Boaz represents God's heart for humanity. He's asking questions. The overseer replied in verse six, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except uh, for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean Uh, Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. Isn't that beautiful? Boaz is protecting Ruth. He's saying, men, Don't you lay a hand on her, protect her, keep her safe. And Ruth, stay close to the women, that will be good. There'll be a community to you and you'll be safe in their presence. God was using Boaz as a righteous man to provide a covering of protection for Ruth. And that is what God wants from us as well. We'll learn more about that a little later. At this, verse 10, she bowed down her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner of no status in the land? I added that. Boaz replied in verse 11, I've been told all about you, all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. <clears throat> I love that because Boaz actually knows quite a bit about Ruth at this point. He was asking questions of his, his foreman. Who is this woman? And he learned her story, had compassion, and now begins to help her in a significant way. Verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. She recognizes she doesn't have status in the land, but in humility, she's saying thank you. Verse 14, and at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come over here, have some bread, and dip it into the wine. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some leftover. So I want to pause here again. What's interesting about this story is now Boaz moves beyond doing what was commanded by God to let them glean in the field. And now he's offering her more food, more than enough. Did you catch that in, um, um, he offered her, some roasted grain, and she ate all she wanted and had some left over. That was verse 14. There's other stories in the Bible that says God provided more than enough for people. Are you familiar with the feeding of the 5,000? It's something really specific that Jesus wanted people to know. There was 12 baskets left over. There was enough for everybody, and then there was some left over. God making a point that He's our provider and he does more than enough. And that is what we as his people should do. Bless people richly. Be kind to people. As uh, she was, uh, verse 15, as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. So now he's providing, again, more than enough resource. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, verse 17. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah, or 20 quarts, or an entire basket full. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. She was amazed. She said, what did you do? Who helped you? That's way more than you would typically get. And she carried it. where am I at? 18. Thank you. Thank you. She get, thank you. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So she ate enough. Ruth ate enough. And then she took more than enough home for Naomi to eat as well. Are you getting that? God blesses us to Pay that, pay that blessing on to others. God doesn't just bless us to hoard and keep for ourselves, but he blesses us so that we can be conduits, that God can use us to be generous and benevolent and kind to people in need so they can understand what our Heavenly Father is like and what Jesus is like. Is like. <clears throat> so then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man... I worked with today is Boaz," she said. "Here's that name, Boaz again. The Lord bless him," Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. "He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead," she added. "That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. That guardian redeemer, many people know it as a kinsman redeemer. That's from the Hebrew word galal, and that means to redeem, to pay off a debt, to marry a widow." so that her, her lineage can carry on. And so he stand, that kinsman redeemer stands in the gap for someone in need or that is in danger. And we're going to find out later about Boaz and the, the significance of that. But one thing, um, nope, let's keep going. Then Ruth in 21, verse 21, then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. So here he's now providing a job for her. Just stay around. Work with my people. Follow after them so that you are taking care of the entire month of harvesting, both of wheat and barley. So now she's able to survive because of his generosity. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him. Because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. You catch that? You might be harmed if you went somewhere else. So God was allowing Boaz to provide shelter for Ruth. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. She lived and she lived with her mother in law. In the verse 23. So God used Boaz to rescue Ruth and Naomi in their dire situation. He was blessed to be a blessing. Not to hoard. Not to hoard. And my prayer today is that you would take an introspective view of your own life. Do you have a tendency to hoard or bless? No one does it perfectly. We need God's grace to grow in the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. So there's lots of grace from this pulpit. I can tell you that. But God does want us to be people that we begin to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice, and our antennas are up to be a blessing. That's what Boaz was. He was he provided food for Ruth and a job. <clears throat> and um, so, how does that look? What how does that look for us in modern-day Christianity, in the church today? We're to be good to people. We're to be using our resources, whether our time, our talent, or our uh, finances, to be a blessing to others. Boaz, in verse 5, going back to verse 5, Boaz asked the overseer, his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Again, he asked questions to learn. And he gathered information so he can make an informed decision. Yep, I believe I'm supposed to help this person out. Boaz noticed Ruth and he, he asked to learn more and we should do the same. So the question I have for us, all of us, is are there opportunities right now that God has bringing across your path to be a blessing to somebody? It could be an extended family member, it could be a coworker, it could be somebody in this body here. You overhear something and your heart is ignited And the key would be ask inquisitive questions. Well, God, what part do you want me to play? I know when I do that, I'm acting like you in this world. Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. I'm going to read that again. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Generosity is not a topic we discuss in church. It's a lifestyle we live. It's, it's every day getting up saying, God, this is a new day and a fresh start. Who is it you want me to come into contact with? And everything that you've entrusted to me to steward over, how can I use that to further your kingdom? That's God's heart. I had the privilege 20 years ago about. I was in church Much like this, after a Sunday evening, it was a Sunday evening service, and I overheard a friend of mine who happened to be a limo driver. He was a limousine driver, and he was going through a rough season financially, but he said he needed new shoes. And immediately in my heart, this ignited in my spirit, you are to help him. So I asked, so I began to research, what would a good pair of shoes cost? and I researched it, and then I sent him the money. And he came back to me and said, oh my gosh, God gave me a dream someone was going to give me finances to bless me. And that increased his faith, that God heard his heart. He was in need of something, that his heavenly Father wanted to resource him with that, and that God would use somebody whose ears were attentive to his heart. And that blessed him, but it blessed me immensely. And it made me go, I want to do this more, not less. There was another season not too long ago. I recently was in uh, overseas in Africa. And I began to pray, God, help me to have my spiritual antennas up. Is there somebody here that needs something significant? And what I mean by that, that I have the capacity to do something about it. And one day, I was meeting with this caseworker, uh, this staff member, and she was telling the story of these four siblings. They lost their parents, and they were extremely poor, and the organization stepped in to help them, but they helped the oldest son have a job. And they were able to survive, but the second oldest son, he was 19 years old, He had no skills, no job opportunity, but he had a dream of becoming a registered nursing assistant. And there was this program that I had just went and observed, and there were people in the, uh, there were these girls from this organization that I was working with that had let them go through the program. So I asked the question, how much does it cost to send somebody through that program? And immediately I knew I was to help. I had the resources and ability to do it. And so, um, but not only did he need to, the funds for the program, he had to have the funds to purchase his outfits, his uniforms, and food and money to get to and from there for six months. He just didn't have the capacity. So two of my other friends on the trip said, let's go in together And let's make this kid's dream a reality. Can I tell you, a few months ago, he graduated from that program, beaming ear to ear, and his life is on a trajectory to change he and his family's life. How is that possible? When we connect with God and we move beyond ourselves to see others in need and that God is inviting us into his kingdom work. Can I tell you the harvest fields are ripe all over the world here locally and abroad to do something significant in the lives of people. And God is simply looking for somebody who's willing and available to bring your loaves of bread and fish to the master who then can do the miracle. Your resources are enough. God is never gonna ask you to do something you can't do. He's asking you to breathe what you have and let him do the miracle on behalf of somebody else. That's what it means to be good to people. God used Boaz to be a protector for Ruth. So what does that mean for us and our in, in the church world today? We should be a safe haven for people. People because you carry Jesus Christ in your heart, people should feel safe around you. I don't know what's up with you. But when I'm around you there's peace. There's joy. I feel safe in your presence because we carry the heart of God as a protector. That's what God wants for us. There is, um, <clears throat> there is safety in community. <clears throat> I think I got, I, got, let me, I got ahead of myself. Let's not get ahead of myself. Sorry about that. <clears throat> so... Um, Psalm 82, three through four says this, give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and help us. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. That's God's heart. He wants us, when we see injustice, when we see someone taking advantage of somebody else and we come across that, we should ask God, what do you want me to do? Not run the opposite direction, but run towards the battlefield. I In high school, I was in ninth grade, and I was in this class. It was a business class, so there were upperclassmen in this class. There were sophomores. Two sophomores, there were star basketball players. And there happened to be another girl in the class who was a freshman like me. And I was 95 pounds, 5'3", five, 5'3", three, five, three, 95 pounds wet. I was a little runt. And one day, these star basketball players... Started picking on this girl who was overweight. She had some body odor. And what I noticed next is tears streaming down her face, hoping it would end. And those nasty individuals kept bullying her. But this five foot three, 95 pound wet little Hercules said, That is not cool. And so I marched straight up to them. I said, What you're doing is not cool. Can't you see you're making her cry? Can't you see that you're making her life miserable? I'm asking you to stop. And to my amazement, they stopped. You know, God is looking for us to stand in the gap for those that can't stand up for themselves. That is the very nature of God. Acts twenty. 28 through 31. The apostle Paul is getting ready to say farewell to the Ephesians, and he's leaving one last principle of wisdom he's imparting to them. And this is what he says. Keep watch over yourselves in the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. He had a heart, a protector heart, that people could be in a safe place to know the word of God. And he was warning the body That there would be people that come in and distort the truth today in our culture today people are trying to erode the the authority and the principle of the word of god and god is raising up churches and pastors like michael lance that's willing to speak the truth and love to people to keep people on the straight and narrow that we're not changing the truth of god's word for cultural norms but we serve a living God who has a holy standard. And Christ paid an enormous price with his blood shed so that we could be free from sin. And in order, and God is saying, Corey, I set you free not to go back to do worldly things, but to be separate and set apart and as holy because I am holy. And so God wants to protect his church There's people today that are deconstructing Christianity. They're taking the parts of Christianity they like and disregarding the rest. They're saying this is what Christianity is and it's anything but the truth. And God wants us as his people to stand in the gap for people to say, this is the way, walk in it. As carriers of the Holy Spirit, the truth living spirit that lives inside of us to stand on the truth of God's word. He's alive. And we're to be protectors. We're to be protectors in our family. Can I tell you, the family is under assault and attack today. There are people that are trying to undermine what a father and a mother are. They're trying to redefine definitions of what a male and female are. We know the truth because of the Word of God. And I'm not saying don't be compassionate. What I'm saying in our compassion, don't compromise truth. We're to be a loving, safe place for people to learn and grow and to present the truth. And they have a responsibility to choose it or reject it. But we can love people respectfully, even if we disagree with their values. Because we are carriers of the living God and his standard. Boaz stood in the gap for Ruth to protect her. And then Boaz provided Ruth community amongst the women. He provided this great network of women that she could work every day gleaning in the fields. It was a safe place, but it was a place of community. She was a foreigner, didn't know anybody. And every day she was to go out with these women and build community. And as a church, we are to be a community to belong to. There is safety in community, community. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. You might say, well, I love God, but the church thing, I, I don't do. I've been hurt and wounded in the church. Can I tell you, the church is God's idea, not man's idea. We are, we are to be involved in a community of believers because you have gifts, and the Holy Spirit has anointed you with spiritual gifts to use to edify and build up the body. And the same is true for people in your life. And there's protection when we're together. Can I tell you we don't all know everything? Michael's close. Michael's (laughs) close. Pastor Michael's close. But for the rest of us, I need lots of people around me to help me navigate life and make sure I'm not going off in the wrong direction. The scripture says in Hebrews 10, 25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is near. You know, wolves prey on lone, isolated animals. They're looking for someone that's an easy target. And that's what the enemy of our soul, the devil, does. He tries to isolate us and keep us alone, and then he attacks us. And before you know it, we're off, we're off on some crazy place. But there's safety when you're... You know, I don't know about that. You have, do you have anybody in your life that... Yeah, I don't know about that. You're like, you're bothering me. You're poking me. You're prodding me. But do you know those pokes and prods are done in love to say, hey, let's rethink that. Let's let's. There's safety in numbers. So I mentioned earlier that Boaz became Ruth's kinsman redeemer, and that's found in verse twenty. In Israel, if a woman lost her husband, a male relative had the privilege and responsibility to act on the behalf uh, if she was in trouble, danger, or need. He was a rescue. He was to rescue or redeem her and her property to preserve the family name and property. That person was called a kinsman redeemer. To qualify as a kinsman redeemer, one must possess these three qualities. One had to be a male related to the husband who passed away. He had to be willing to buy back his relative's property and be willing to marry his relative's widow to preserve the family name and inheritance of the land. And he had to have the resources to purchase the land. He didn't only have to be willing. He had to have the resources to do it. Boaz met all the requirements of that kinsman redeemer. So Ruth was in this vulnerable place. And Boaz learned that he was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth in the lineage of um, Elimelech, Naomi's husband. And long story short, he and Ruth fell in love, and he decided he was going to stand in the gap and pay off her debt and stand in the gap and become um, the person through which they could carry off the offspring and keep the family lineage going. And what's powerful about this story is that Ruth and Boaz, when they married, they had a son named Obed. Obed had a son named Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, who became king of Israel, a man after God's own heart. And through that lineage came the Christ, Savior of the world. You see, that act of kindness of Boaz, he had no clue the impact that his life would still be speaking today, making a difference generations and generations later. And can I say to you only heaven knows the true impact of your generosity. You see, when you stand in the gap for people that are in crisis and you choose to be a conduit in which God can bless them. It's amazing the transformation that can take place in their life and for future generations to come. And God keeps great record. He knows how to reward you in heaven. So Boaz was the foreshadowing of Christ, our kinsman-redeemer. Just as Boaz was Ruth's kinsman-redeemer, Christ is our kinsman-redeemer. Jesus, the Son of God, became a man and part of the human race, which makes him a male relative to us in a sense, a requirement of a kinsman-redeemer. And because he walked the earth as a human being, he is able to sympathize with our frailty and humanity, yet was without sin. Christ also was willing to lay down his, his life on behalf of us to pay our sin debt, which no one could pay it. He was the only one who was capable of doing it. And he was willing to do it. He was our bride. Christ is our bridegroom and we are his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. Christ is our rescuer, our redeemer, our kinsman redeemer. He paid a debt for us we could never pay back. And because of that, God wants us to continue to extend mercy and kindness to those in our everyday world as we walk with him and fellowship with him. Can I tell you living truth that you have been doing that in partnership with Destiny Rescue? You faithfully, month in and month out, have been partnering with our organization to free children all over the world in sexual slavery. The leading cause of why children end up in the sex industry and are trapped in sexual slavery, human trafficking, is poverty. They go out looking for work. Remember Ruth going to look for work? They go out looking for work, believing that somebody has their best interest at heart. And instead of getting help, they're taken advantage of, and they're trapped in the most vile of situations. And yet, because of Living Truth, many, many kids are now free today and are thriving and living out the destiny God has for them. And I, first of all, want to say a massive thank you for everyone who's contributed to our organization. Pastor Michael is Living Truth as a corporate body. You guys are supporting our work. You started supporting us on May 4th, 2016. And since then, as a corporate body, you've raised, you've given over $67,500. Uh, dollars. Amen. And since our partnership began, we've rescued over 13,000 individuals, mostly children. Think of the impact of those lives radically changed. And not all children come into our care. Sometimes we rescue adults. They don't necessarily come into our care, but we take them to that next best and safe place. But when children enter our care, they're healed and made whole, and you've helped thousands of children and their families be empowered to have safe employment. And many of them have come to know Jesus. This last year was a record-setting year. We rescued 3,167 individuals, mostly children. That's averaging about nine victims a day that we're rescuing across 12 countries. Amen. <laughs> we had. We had over 190 successful raids and over 200 traffickers arrested so that they can't harm children anymore. And we had over 530 children enter our reintegration programs, where we're providing healing and wholeness and restoration to these kids. And like Boaz, standing in the gap for Ruth, providing rescue and protection, you guys are doing that for Destiny Rescue and the kids that we're finding and rescuing. So we have, we have rescue agents all over the world that are out every single day canvassing communities where trafficking of children is known to exist. Many times we infiltrate online chat rooms to gather the needed intel so that when these children are being bought and sold, we can find them and rescue them. We work with top law enforcement agencies all over uh, the world in seven of the countries we work in where we we do joint raid work right along law enforcement. And so we build cases. We invite them into work. They invite us into work. And we work jointly to see children get justice. And that's possible because of you. I want to tell the story of a girl named Chelsea, and I'll get there in a second. But this, these are the kind of rescues we do. We do raid work. We go undercover, posing as customers in dark places. We have border crossing stations on the Nepali-Indian border where we're the last line of defense before children cross that border, never to see their families again. We rescued about a thousand uh, women and children and young adults on that border this year. And then, kids have been brought to the absolute brink of desperation. They, their parents have died. Let's say a parent dies, and the mother runs off with a boyfriend, leaving a 12-year-old girl to fend for herself and her 3- three- and 4-year-old siblings. There's has no way of making an income. Everybody walks on by in this impoverished slum village, and they do nothing to help this starving child and her starving siblings. And these kids are selling themselves to purchase a pencil so they can go to school or just to put food on the table so they're, they're crying three and four-year-old siblings stop crying. And they're willing to risk their life to do that. We're rescuing those kids. We call that a survival rescue. There's no such thing in our world as a minor prostitute. Somebody is willing to exploit and take advantage of those kids. And if they are caught, they will be tried for human trafficking, even though there's not a pimp involved or, or coercion in one sense. Somebody's taking advantage of a child's Vulnerability and plight. So this girl, Chelsea, imagine a three-year-old child. A trafficker lives next door. And the mother, who's poor, sells her own three-year-old child to a notorious trafficker who's been doing this to children untold numbers of children, to paying customers, doing live feed shows, exploiting kids to a live audience all over the world. People in the US, Australia, Europe. And this beautiful three-year-old girl was being solicited by one of our rescue agents. And he went undercover. And it took two years, but he was able to find Chelsea and rescue her at five years old. It was a miracle that she even got rescued. We had no clue where in the world this guy was, but there was a break in the case when there was this unique image that pinpointed him to the Philippines. And then in the Philippines, there was a break in the case almost two years later where this girl and her mother were in front of this unique green gate. And he found this girl three people removed on social media so three friends removed from this guy and it was the girl this trafficker was soliciting one of our rescue agents so he knew the mother and started building rapport on social media with this mother and he was able to find the the, the city and he used google street view and canvass the city for hours hundreds of hours and he found that unique green gate He coordinated a raid with law enforcement in the Philippines, and this is him doing a joint raid with the police, and that is the trafficker who got arrested, and we rescued beautiful Chelsea. Chelsea was rescued. The trafficker and his accomplice were arrested along with the mother, and beautiful Chelsea is now free and safe, thriving in the Philippines. How does somebody like Chelsea get rescued? How how does that happen? Because faithful people that's so into this work connect with God's heart for justice and are being benevolent that empowers our rescue agents to find girls like Chelsea every single day. And from the bottom of my heart, you are making miracles like Chelsea happen. And I wanna say thank you But we don't only just rescue. We want to see kids healed and restored. We want them to live out their best life. And so we develop what we call a freedom plan for every child that comes into our care. We uncover the risk factors that create a vulnerability. How can we help them stay free long term? And if it's a safe option, how can we involve the family, providing a solution for the whole family so the whole family is strengthened? And then not only does it help the rescue child, but all the siblings. And on average in community care, there's six individuals, the parents and three, four kids. And so it's amazing what we can do. So we provide things like education, vocational training, trauma resiliency-based program that brings healing, that starts that journey to wholeness and healing through the trauma they endured. And many times we earn the trust to share the gospel message with these kids, and they give their lives to Christ. So you were playing a part in seeing miracles like that happen. And I want to tell you the story of Hamizi. Hamizi came from a great loving family that loved her and believed in her, and things were great until they weren't. Her parents tragically died, and she had several siblings. And now, all of a sudden, they went from being in a protected state to where they don't have any money to survive. And they were given to their grandmother to raise, but she was a very, very poor woman who could not help them survive. Hamizi wanted to go to school. That was her dream, to go to school and to do something with her life. And she begged her grandmother, please let me go to school. Let me go to school. I know my parents have passed away, but please let me go to school. So they made A compromise. They said, okay, I'll let you go to school. You can walk to school, a public school, and we'll figure it out. So one day she was on her way to school and she meets this guy who says, I can help you. I help girls like you. I'll pay for your schooling and I'll even help out with your family a little bit. Seems really nice and innocent. And one day as Hamizi's going to school, he says, he starts touching her inappropriately. And she knows something's wrong, but he's paying for her schooling. So she doesn't know what to do. So she lets that continue for a little bit, even though she says, I don't like that. And one day, he turned violent. And he did horrible things to Hamizi over and over again. And he said, if you tell anybody, I'll kill you. And she felt trapped. No one knew. And she just endured this hellish life. And Destiny Rescue found Hamizi and rescued her. And she came into our care and her whole life began to change for the better, including her siblings. Destiny Rescue found Hamizi and rescued her. Our team began to speak truth to her and to help her heal from the inside out. While While being abused, she got pregnant and she was devastated. She thought she would have an abortion And she contemplated that, but she knew God. And God began to put in her heart, it wasn't the child's fault. And if God has allowed this to happen, he will give me the grace to get through this with my child. And so through the loving nurturing of our team, she had the child. But many kids at school made fun of Hamizi for having a child, judging and criticizing her. But Destiny Rescue's team helped her understand her value and worth in God's sight. We assigned foster parents to Hamizi. In this specific country, they don't like safe homes. So they say, we want fostering foster parents so that children can be in a context of a home, a home life. And there's a lot of studies that show over-institutionalizing children can be damaging long term. So they do foster parenting. So we have a whole host of church networks of families that foster these children in this country. And that's what happened to Hamizi. We assigned foster parents to Hamizi, and everything began to change. She felt loved and cared for. Destiny Rescue even helped the foster family earn more income by providing them with a small business, which helped the uh, with items uh, Hamizi needed. So, like Boaz providing a safe place for Ruth, Destiny Rescue is providing safe places for these kids to heal and be restored. And those kids that were making fun of Hamizi. It was easy for lies to come into her whisper in her ears, but we provided a protected shelter to help her believe the truth about who she is. And today, she's thriving in life. She kept her child. She believes she's going to be a good mother, that she's a good mother. She believes that God is for her and with her. And today, that picture on the right, she graduated from our program, and she spoke with great confidence to other survivors of what they could make happen for themselves because God is faithful. And she has a dream of going on to become a lawyer, to stand in the gap for children that are being taken advantage of in her own country. And she's on target to do it. How does the the miracle of Hamazi's story happen? It's you guys standing in the gap, sacrificing your resources, being benevolent and kind to someone you don't know. And those seeds are sown to make a difference. I recently had the wonderful privilege of meeting, having coffee with a good friend of mine who used to be the country manager of our organization in Cambodia. And he helped rescue lots of kids in Cambodia. And today, he now has his own organization. And he's back in Cambodia. And while there, he ran into three survivors that were rescued by Destiny Rescue. And this is what he said. He said, Corey, I need to tell you that the work of Destiny Rescue is working. I ran into one girl. She's now married to the most amazing husband. And she was just beaming ear to ear with smiles. And she has multiple kids. And she's filled with such joy and hope because she remembers what life was like. But life today is treating her good. So she's passing on being kind to her own kids. And miracles will take place generationally because she is now safe. Another girl he said I ran into, she's now a school teacher. And she's teaching kids in her community. And I think what a powerful story going from brokenness to now giving back to her community, to other children, so they can be empowered to have bright futures through education. And lastly, he said, Corey, one of those girls that I met is now working for my organization. We do preventative work to help at-risk children and young women. And she is a bright light to these other girls that there's hope. And she's making an impact today. That is possible because of you. And my prayer today is that you would know that the God of heaven, our heavenly father, is, is, is wanting to use everyday ordinary people like you and me to be conduits so his kindness and benevolence and mercy and protection can go through us to others in need. And they will come to know our great savior, Jesus Christ, because of our act of kindness. If you're learning, if you have learned about Destiny Rescue and you've never made that decision to want to partner with our organization, or maybe you're learning about our organization for the first time, I want to give you the chance, in light of the message you heard today, if God's stirring your heart to partner with our organization to see kids, vulnerable kids like Ruth was a vulnerable one, or kids like Hamizi. Um, and Chelsea get rescued. You can do that by becoming a rescue partner with our organization. These rescue partner packs are on our table out in the foyer. And as a rescue partner, for any monthly amount, some of you that 's 40 dollars a month, just over a dollar, thirty a day. Some can do 50 dollars a month, some can do more, some can do less. But when you respond to the Holy Spirit 's tugging in your heart and you respond by becoming a rescue partner, kids get rescued. Those resources are used so our rescue agents can find these children and bring them back to one of our safe places, or reunite them back with their family if that's safe, and provide a solution so they can heal and be restored. And so if that's you, you can take this envelope out in the foyer and fill that out and hand that in to us today. And you're going to get, in about two weeks, a rescue partner update, a rescue partner pack that explains what you're doing as a rescue partner with Destiny Rescue. Write your email legibly. okay? Write your email legibly. Um, Because you're going to get rescue partner updates from us of stories like you just heard. And and so I want to make sure that you're getting these updates of the impact that you're helping make possible. Can I just say thank you for your faithful giving and your faithful support of our organization? And thank you for being part of the body of Christ. Let me close in prayer, and then Michael, Pastor Michael, is going to Amen. So, do you want me to pray first yeah, or do you want to? We're
1: going to pray together. Okay, perfect. So I just wanted to share something really quick. First of all, um, this this man right here used to actually be on the raids himself. He He was in some very dark places acting as if he were a customer to save children. My wife and I have been waiting to watch the movie Sound of Freedom, and we watched it last night. And we had to pray before we watched it. Um, I was praying in my spirit to just, you know, try to deal with the ugliness of what that movie revealed. And, um, it was, is it Tim Ballard, Tim Ballard who, who stepped out, risked his life. So you're looking at a Tim Ballard right here. If you guys didn't know that he's actually done this on the front lines and, um, it, it's a it's a great delight to partner with you, Corey, and to see your enthusiasm and passion has not waned as you've done this, and we've we've been able to partner with you. And um, I'm grateful for this congregation for the way that you put feet to your faith because it really does make a difference. And you know you can hear about something like this, but when you actually, how many of you have seen the the Sound of Freedom movie? I would encourage you if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, Because it is hard to take, it made made my wife and I sick to our stomachs. In fact, uh, we were numb after watching the movie. Frankly, it was hard to even talk. But one of the things that we do as the people of God is we don't just listen to messages from the Bible on a Sunday. We actually want to go and do something. Amen. We want to make a difference. So Corey's going to be out at his table. And we're going to have another opportunity to put feet to our face. Some of you are already supporting Destiny Rescue, and that's an awesome thing. But I would encourage you to visit Corey, uh, get to know him a little better, a little bit better. He'll answer any questions that you may have. But uh, we're just grateful, Corey. So let's just pray right now. Lord, thank you for my brother, Corey, and Destiny Rescue, and just the many hundreds of people who are part of this ministry, those who give to it financially, those who are on the front lines, um, really doing what Corey and Tim Ballard and others have done, going into dangerous places, putting their life at risk to rescue kids that they don't, they don't even know, but to save them out of darkness and bring them into light. Thank you for um, things that we'll probably only find out in eternity, what you did through the generosity of your people. Uh, I'm grateful for Corey. I pray that you would protect him from evil. Protect this organization from evil, Lord. We know that the enemy's on the prowl, and he would love to stumble Destiny Rescue, so please keep them pure. Yes. Keep them um, doing the good work, fighting the good fight, and continue to bless their ministry and expand the reach until we pray that one day human trafficking, sex trafficking, would come to an end in Amen. Jesus' mighty name. Let it stop, Lord, yes. once and for all. Expose the darkness and and stop this uh, nonsense all over the world. Use us, Lord, uh, toward that end, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen.